Welcome to the Casual Hour Deep Dive, a podcast ostensibly about video games, but mostly about wizards from the moon. Um, I am joined by my two co-hosts. This is not Bobby P speaking. Yeah, this is Johnny Amazich. <laughs> uh, I will be your host for this episode, a very special episode of the Casual Hour. Uh, I'm joined by Mr. Chase Kinnicky. Hi. Everyone's favorite gamer on the go. And Bobby P's nobody's favorite anything. Hi. Johnny, I want to say... Well done on Thank you. pronouncing ostensibly. I mean, it, for long-time listeners, you may remember... We have to hear it every time we do a recording, and we have to hear it wrong, or at least poor. <laughs> Everything's so poor. now, a little professionalism into the podcast. I really hey, appreciate it. I do what I can. I, I don't think it was that I should have never conceded this seat to you, Bobby. Um, it was never yours to begin with. So, for those of you listening... Uh, we're doing a, a very special episode. You may have heard us talking about it uh, over the last couple. Uh, instead of the usual, what you've been playing, what you've been up to, what do you think about it, news, that sort of stuff, we're doing what we're calling a deep dive. Where one of us chooses a topic that could be a developer, a studio, a specific game, and anything. anything. It can be anything we want. Yeah. But uh, probably going to be a little bit more game focused. Yes. Uh, I, would, I would hope on the video game podcast. Yeah, and uh, one of us will do some research. Uh, I may have gone overboard on the some research. Some research I did. is mm-hmm. a very generous way oh, of referring yeah. to what you've done. Johnny you. has never been more prepared for anything. Did you buy a library yet. card to do this project? I, it was all you on do, you, do you buy library cards still? Do you buy them, or I, do you just? I register? think they're free. You just get them. I think so. They, they really get you in the I back end. With I think one. it's pretty sad that none of us know how to get a library card. No, it's free because we, we got one for Jude. Why would I need a library card when I have encyclopedias? <clears throat> Why do you need an encyclopedia? Yeah, I've got Encarta. <laughs> a Wikipedia. I did use a lot of Wikipedia, uh, but I followed the sources cited in those entries in Wikipedia. Did you so credit you, them? So you just followed other people's work. I will give you $5 <laughs> right now <laughs> if you can... Properly tell me. No, I knocked on Luke Smith's door. I said, hey, Luke, let me talk to you, man. How do you. Well, one, I don't think Luke Smith was around for a lot of stuff. He wasn't there the whole time. Uh, And two, I'm just saying, if you follow the same sources that Wikipedia. You're fine. It's it's Wikipedia. You're right. This is all going to be secondary research. Nobody's out there doing primary. We're in St. Louis. We're not in Seattle where we can. Woo, I've been, okay, I'm sorry. I've been busy Bobby myself. Bobby can get the inside scoop we on We are Apple off to a great start. Um, so This is the deep dive. Yeah. And we're talking about? Bungie. Uh, Fantastic. Developers of Destiny and Halo. I've never heard of them. No, I know. We've never talked about any Bungie games ever on this podcast. Certainly not, Certainly not Destiny um, 1 or 2. Yeah, so Bungie is or a studio. Or the thousand hours that Chase has played. <laughs> They're a studio that I think for all three of us has a very special place in our hearts. Uh, a lot of sure. that tied to nostalgia going through to today. Yeah. Uh, the games that they put out. Um, they are one of the most prolific developers. I'd say probably one of the most influential uh, when it comes to the sh- first-person shooter genre uh, and what they did for shooters specifically on the console. I, um, I think what they did specifically with just the zeitgeist around, like gaming coming over into the, the the center point here i mean we talked a lot on this ep- or not in this episode but we've talked a lot about midnight midnight releases and launches mm-hmm. yeah and i mean at one point halo was the best-selling entertainment thing it in made the world yeah. evening news i think halo 2 and 3 are the only midnight launches i've gone to yeah i mean like this is when or halo two and three. like my parents who knew i played video games 
legitimately asked me about like, hey, are you playing this Halo game that we saw in the news tonight? Yeah. It was, I mean, this was a household name. This was the first game I ever went to a LAN party for. Sure. Uh, it was the reason I bought an Xbox 360 after I missed out on the first gen of Xbox. Um, and it's a very important series to me. And then Bungie as a whole is a very important studio to me. But but despite how important they are to all three of us, honestly, I I think there does come a limit to our nostalgia. Absolutely. Because yeah. I'd say if we had to name games that Bungie made before Halo, Long, it'd be a you know, pretty short list. Fans like, from the 90s would call us Fairweather. I, <laughs> I remember Marathon, and I only remember Marathon because it was in an episode of Red vs. Blue when they like went back in time or mm-hmm. something, and it, they, haha, we went from Halo to... to I didn't even know about Marathon until it was re-released on iOS. It was. Come on, yeah. Bobby. Like it's a Mac. It's a Mac staple. You're the Apple man. Yeah. You, you know these things. That's what um, they call me, the Apple man. I, and and then I'd heard jokes about, uh, oh yeah, hey, remember that time Bungie and Rockstar worked on a game together and it was terrible. Um, and yeah. It's like I have no idea what exactly it is. I remember seeing the cover for that, right. seeing the Bungie name, and wondering what the fuck yeah. it was. And it wasn't even real Bungie, right? It was like a separate studio. We'll get into that. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, it, so, it is Bungie. There are reasons that they did not <laughs> come to uh, where Bungie was located at that time. So as you can as you can tell, Johnny's the one who did all the research. Bobby yeah. and I are mostly here to ask questions, to I would listen say in silence as I read this entire 12-page script. Yeah, and, and to learn, honestly. like I, I'm very yeah. excited to learn more about the history of Bungie. So, Johnny, I will say this once and only once. I want to thank you. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, Great. For, <laughs> for the work that you've done in preparing this for us tonight. We've been talking about doing something different, the formatting for a bit. This is really the first big change in yeah. three years for our show. And I, I just want to say I've had more fun doing this. Like, I've... I have very limited free time. Uh, You're a busy man. I've been spending my lunch at work, and then every night after my wife and kid are in bed, I spend two or three hours reading and writing. So um, I've given up Monster Hunter for this. And Control, two games I I love very, very much. And Fire Emblem. Which is a game you've already forgotten about. Uh, I know. Such a bummer. So I'm going to get back to it tonight. Um, So, yeah, what say... Let's jump started. in. Where did Bungie start? What happened? So, uh, Bungie was founded in May of 1991 by Alex Seropian, who shortly after that brought in the guy you are both familiar with, Jason Jones. Uh, My cousin. Yes, right. friend of the show. <laughs> uh, he brought him in. They published Jones's game Minotaur, The Labyrinth of Crete, uh, which interestingly, that was a game that Jones had developed for the Apple II. I thought you were going to say, interestingly, is a place in Europe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Interstellar, and we're going to start talking about Christopher Nolan. This is our segue into <laughs> Greek culture. Or, uh, anyway, uh, so originally they were a studio known for making games on the Mac, like Myth and Marathon. Um, their big, big moment would come November 15th, 2001, with the release of Halo Combat Evolved. And it sold out. Exactly. They saw it Damn man. That was that. They released that after being acquired by Microsoft for between twenty to forty million dollars. Now, later on, I will discuss the circumstances surrounding that and how I gained a different perspective for companies like Bungie when 
they have the option of joining, coming under the wing of a larger company like Microsoft. There's some things happen. What year was that again? I'm sorry, that they, they went to Microsoft? It was 2000. July of 2000 was when that was announced. And when did Halo come out? 2001. Okay. And there was a launch title for the original Xbox. So they probably were working on that game. Right? They were working yeah, on it in 1998. Yeah. Yeah. They were working on it for several years. It wasn't a first-person shooter either. When it yeah. Started. It was It was a third-person action game. And then at some point it was like an RTS, I think, too. Because isn't that where like the... Halo Wars? Yeah, that's where Halo Wars is like, let's get back to yeah. the Yeah, it there were some really weird elements to yeah. it that wouldn't be seen in the final release. Of do the you game. think that people... Really quick. Do you think that people associate... Like, if you would ask somebody in the last two to three years would they associate halo or bungie with halo still like do you think or do they think this is destiny i I think it depends on the age of the i mean dude i saw we went to jellystone uh camp there yeah and they had a halloween thing going on and there was a kid who was like 10 dressed as master chief so i think it is still culturally relevant it is not well, sure. I mean, nearly still, as popular as it used to be and they're still putting out Halo yeah. yeah just Bungie isn't putting right I, I think like Bobby I think more to your question is are people saying Bungie or associating Bungie with Halo I think nowadays I mean Destiny, Destiny is the thing yeah yeah. it's there's, super popular there's definitely like an age cutoff. yeah if you ask me even despite the I probably put more hours into Destiny than I have into Halo at this point just cumulatively Mm, man, maybe. I would love to see the numbers it's, it's there. Probably you could close. probably find the numbers. It's, it's still on Bungie.net. I don't, I don't, I don't um, the numbers. I'll do a little research. I, 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 I tend to look it up once a year. Um, so yeah, I, I think it depends on the person you ask. Um, also, Destiny has the advantage of not being platform-specific. It's on PlayStation, Xbox, and Windows. Sure. Whereas Halo, aside from my Halo 1 and 2... And then I guess now they've put the Master Chief Collection on the PC. Mm-hmm. But for a long time there, the only place you could get it was the Xbox. Sure. Um, so Halo would go on to be the most important franchise for the original Xbox. Uh, it would sell 6.5 million copies. Um, they, I mean, Munch's Odyssey, though. <laughs> I mean, no one is discrediting Munch's Odyssey. I mean, Fusion Frenzy? Yeah. Come on. Like... <laughs> um, so Bungie would make five Halo games in total uh, before regaining their independence, and then they would sign a 10-year deal with Activision, who would publish their brand new series, Destiny, and a sequel, Destiny 2. That partnership would not last, though. As of today, Bungie has regained their independence for a second time and are on the brink of putting out their ma- first major expansion to Destiny 2 as an independent studio, and that's Shadowkeep, which comes out in just a few weeks. Yeah, it was, supposed, it was supposed to be a, like a week out, two but weeks. But they pushed so. it back because yeah. they wanted to make it as good as they can, and that that is something that is in the DNA of Bungie. Sure, I found uh, is they do not put stuff out until it is ready, um, usually. <laughs> yeah, unless they're under the thumb of something like that. Yeah, um, and I, I should also clarify. So I worked on this for about two weeks. I was only able to get to the release of Halo Combat Evolved, so there will be a Bungie Part 2 at some point, but it turns out trying to cover 30 years of history in as what I consider sort of sparse detail as possible, yeah. uh, it's pretty difficult. So, yeah, we'll going up. We'll be going up to the release of Halo Combat Evolved. On the so, Xbox. if you only care about Halo, you can skip this episode. Exactly. <laughs> Deep dive. But I feel like the most interesting stuff that well, you, the most interesting yeah. stuff for to me is the stuff I don't yeah, know. Like so, yeah. What happened right. in the very beginning? Totally. Um, so, 
How did a company founded by two Phi Delta Theta frat brothers from the University of Chicago go from a struggling studio on the brink of closing up shop to the, one of the most successful developers in the business? Well, I think there was a guy named Alex Soropian who met a guy named Jason Jones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just repeating the stuff you just said. Um, so I think that we should first take a minute to talk about the two co-founders, Alex Soropian yeah. and Jason Jones. Uh, Alex is no longer with Bungie. He left in 2004. Uh, Jason is still there. Uh, so, and if you, wouldn't it be faster to just refer to them together as Alex Jones? No. No, no, no problem with that, right? Cowards. <laughs> what? The flood is turning the kids gay. Uh, Excuse me. Um, so, in a 2013 interview with Polygon, uh, Alex was asked, you know, about his origin story and when he decided video games were the thing he wanted to do with his life. Uh, he, he answered that by saying in high school he decided he wanted to become a businessman, but he would make games and be head of a company. Uh, he also uh, talked about an experience selling popsicles for a fundraiser for the hospital his dad worked at when he was 10. Uh, in high school, he taught himself how to program, and he says, uh, quote, When I got back to school, I started teaching myself how to program, and the first thing I wanted to do was make a theme, and then I would start a company, make a game, and be the head of that com- this, this company. Um... So during his senior year of college, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. Uh, I'm sure that that is a very relatable thing to all three of us. Yeah. Uh, that's a very... I still don't know what I want to do. Yeah. You know, in your early 20s, like the, the idea that you're supposed to have your whole life figured out is bullshit. Um, so his dad said, uh, he said, he says of his dad, his advice to me was to take a job with another company to get experience first. The next day, I went out and started a company. My dad is a master of reverse psychology. Um, and so Bungie was born, doing what so many of us have also done, ignoring the advice of your parents. Totally. Um, Jason Jones uh, began programming on compu- Apple computers in high school. He taught himself AppleSoft Basic and 6502 assembly, which assembly code, like that's, that's some high level shit. Um, and when Apple released the first Mac, uh, his family bought the Mac 128K. Uh, he did not do much development on it. Uh, during an interview with Inside Mac Games in 1993, he said, After high school, my family bought a Mac 2, and I got a job programming in C for a CAD. I think that's like an architectural firm. Computer uh, yeah. assisted drafting. Yeah. yeah, company on PCs. Needless to say, I didn't go to college for a year. During this year off, I bought MPW for the Macintosh and started doing Mac development on the side. What's MPW? I don't know. I, f- I looked it up, but I forgot. Okay. Um, all I ever did on the Apple II was write games, and it seemed logical to continue that on the Mac. And I love this quote. Honestly, it's the only good use of computers that I can think of. <laughs> um, the first thing I did on Mac was port a modem game I'd written called Minotaur from Assembly to the Apple II and to MPW. I guess MPW is the... Assembly on the Apple II. Like that, he was... It was written in assembly for the Apple II, okay. and it was actually a network game. It was multiplayer, um, which, of course, nobody had yeah, the equipment for that back then. Right. Um, he said, I was still finishing that when I came to college. By that time, I knew I wanted to write games, so I guess it all goes back to the Apple II. Um, and in his second year of college, he met Alex. They decided to work together in Minotaur, which they pub- was published by Bungie. Um, but... By this time, Alex had already put out Bungie's second game, Operation Desert Storm, which was a top-down tank shooter. I watched some gameplay of it. Um, very, very basic. Like it, sure. Yeah, it's, it's just 
like a flat 2D plane. You have a little box that's the tank, and you, you drive it around. It doesn't look very good. What year was this? Uh, let's see. That came out in 1991. Wow. Okay. But I mean, yeah, 1991. It looked better than Combat. I yes. Guess. Yes. <laughs> um, but he had sold 25 copies of that that he mailed out from his bedroom. Uh, it was their first commercial release, but the Bungie considers their first game to actually be a Pong knockoff called Gnop that Alex had written. Um, <laughs> Alex gave away the game for free, but he charged 15 bucks for the source code. Um, so Minotaur comes out. Uh, it was unique at the time. Like I said, it was an online RPG that required you to have a modem to play. Uh, there was a single-player mode, but it was basically just to learn how the stuff in the sure. in the maze worked. Uh, the real action was to be had by playing online with others. Um, it sold another twenty five hundred copies. When you say with others, is it was it like a co op thing or was there PvP? I think it was PvP. Okay. Yeah, you're playing against other players, um, but it did have a dedicated following, uh, and it showed you know Bungie's not afraid to try things that are different, just because it's not like what's popular at the time. Um, so their next release after that was a game called Pathways into Darkness, which was a name that sounded familiar to me. Had either of you ever heard of that one? No. I don't think so. So. Again, this is 2000. Yeah. Maybe. So the Pathways comes out in 93. Uh, oh, it was maybe. the first Mac game to ever have uh, 3D texture maps. And the first true shooter, first person shooter available on the Mac as well. Uh, here's a quote from Jones. Uh, it's as close as you'll get to virtual reality without a helmet. Mm, I bet that doesn't age well. No. <laughs> uh, that game, I mean, it, it's a first-person shooter. You're bobbing around. You're moving really quick throughout the level. And this would be 93. This is after Doom at this point. Because it has to be. Yep. It's called Pathways. Pathways into Darkness. Um, so. Has it been remade? This one might be remade. I don't think so. Not by Bungie, anyway. I mean, here's the thing. It looks a lot like Doom. Well, they're all going to look like Yeah. Them. Like, yeah. This, was, uh, this was the era of Doom clones. Did, do you guys know, because I, I was never a Mac gamer, uh, did Doom come to the Mac? Did they report mm-hmm. Doom mm-hmm. to the Mac? Yeah. It was, it, was it quick? Was it, like, when it came out? I don't know that much. much like, here's the thing. I was not a Mac user until 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. I grew up... Building PCs with my dad. Well, you work there, so like you should like know the history and the roots and all that, right? You're not wrong. You're just... <laughs> uh, I mean, look, it doesn't look terrible. Uh, it's got some interesting. It's an old game. Well, I, I mean, it's a very old video game. Uh, it, Doom came out in '94 on the Mac. Okay, so this this would have been, hey, you don't have Doom, but here is a game. Here's a game like Doom, like Doom, feels like Doom mm-hmm. that might have some interesting ideas in it. Like, this is definitely the era of Doom clones, but... Yeah. Cool. Um, so the, the, the theme of Pathways... Uh, I mean, I'll just read a little bit from the description here. Sure. Uh, so 64 million years ago, a, a semi-dead extraterrestrial being measuring two kilometers in length struck the Earth with an immense impact. Very specific. Uh, it was covered under thousands of feet of, feet of, feet of rock. Uh, it was dormant for a really long time. Uh but it began to stir and dream. And as it dreamed, weird things started to happen. Uh, it started shifting reality. Uh, 
so I, I'm, I wanted to talk about this stuff because you can see like a through line with Bungie and like the types of stories that they tell and the level of detail in the storytelling, even in a game like this. That's it's kind of like they're <laughs> retelling and refining the same story yeah. with every game they do. Because mm-hmm. because yeah. I mean we're gonna get to Marathon, but the story of Marathon is somewhat similar. It's aliens and there, shooting. And there are some themes that carry over. Halo is aliens and shooting, and Destiny yeah. is ha- aliens and shooting. Um, and what's, what's the next weird one from them? The what? Isn't there like another game right now from them? Like they're outside of Bun- outside of Destiny. There's another game they're working on because uh, they got that what hundred million investment from that Chinese yeah. company. I don't, I don't know if, we've if I had to guess, that. aliens. You think aliens and shooting? shooting. Hmm. I might do something completely different. I, I imagine it might be something completely different at this point. Just shooting because, like, and aliens. Well, like we not have, aliens and shooting, but shooting and aliens. After reading what I've learned about Myth, I want them to make an RTS because mm. Myth sounds. Fucking rad. Um, so you have you have a, an eight man team that's four days to get through all forty levels, plan a nuclear device, and fight your way back to the top before the world ends. When you say eight man team, is this multiplayer or are these uh, AI teammates? I I think you could play co op. Or is it just a, like a hey yeah there are seven other people here wink wink it's actually just you. It's it's you and I believe some AI soldiers. Okay. Um, so. You find guns and ammo on the bodies of German soldiers. I didn't find an explanation as to why German soldiers were down. I mean, Nazis were into some weird occult shit. Um, and in addition to the morality-based weapons, you'd be coming across magic crystals uh, that grant you a variety of powers. Uh, freezing, burning, blowing wind, turning to stone, creating earthquakes, and using lightning. You're, you're blowing wind. Ma- magic, aliens, mm-hmm. German soldiers, shooting. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that sounds like a video game <laughs> for them. That all checks out. Uh, this was a critical and commercial success. It was their best-selling game to date. It sold more than twenty thousand copies. Which was just a, a CD-ROM or a floppy? Uh, back then, what would it have been? This is ninety-three, right? I, I would mm-hmm. say it's probably floppy. Floppy, yeah, I would imagine. Um, and uh, it was the third best-selling Mac game of the first half of ninety-four, after SimCity two thousand and Mist. I've heard of those other two. And those games were insanely popular. I mean, yeah, like, like, so, in all reality, like, for those of you who are uninitiated, those are games that still carry a lot of weight today. Well, and also, like, I think you have it written here much lower down, uh, but, like, we're, we are talking about a subset here. We're talking yeah. about the Mac. Yeah. Which... Mm-hmm. Didn't get a ton of games to no, it. And no, and still to this day, no. while there is a much wider variety, it's still... Hey, they just got arcade. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean. But yes, like, it's you, a, you it's log on to Steam, there's a lot of games that are not coming to the Mac. Totally. Um, no, totally. Back then, especially so. It was, you know, you had a bit of an inferiority complex. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a quote I'm going to read a little bit later on that will talk about that. But there, there's something to, like, sales numbers of 20,000 copies might not sound like a lot these days, especially when you But on like a platform like that and from a, a developer that had, I think, like three or four employees at the time, mm-hmm. that was huge. And, and for the only two games to overtake it at that point to be giant, huge games that just published probably, by... probably got ports because they felt like they right. had to. Yeah. And I have to imagine, too, though, that... At the time, developing this stuff was probably not as easy as it was on other platforms. I mean, Jason Jones learned how to program in assembly, which is like the language that computers speak. So, 
I'm sure at this point, you know, he's probably doing programming in C or something like that. But sure. I mean, but just by the market forces you have, yeah. like, why would people learn Apple uh, coding languages when they can learn PC coding I, languages? And yeah, bigger I feel like for them, it was all circumstantial. That was just the type of computers that their family had, and so yeah. that's what they learned to program for. Um, so <laughs> they actually they made this game in Alex's apartment. Uh, so after that, they sold enough that they were able actually able to move into an office in the south side of Chicago. Uh, they added more people to their crew and began working on what is widely considered to be a spiritual successor to Halo, a game that Rest. we've mentioned. Yes. Marathon. Um, so, before we move on, though, I wanted to share a quote uh, from Jason Jones from another interview with Inside Mac Games. Uh, when he was asked about a sequel to Pathways into Darkness, because, you know, it was popular, people liked it, he says... I don't think that Bungie will ever publish a game called Pathways into Darkness 2. There's a lot of reasons for that, one of them being that I tend to dislike sequels. Many times when a publisher comes out with a sequel to a game, it means that they made a lot of money in their first one, and they're going to continue to publish similar games until everyone gets sick of them. It's really fun to read that, yeah. and know that Bungie would then go on to make three marathon games, two myth games, five Halo games, and now two Destiny games. I mean, yeah. technically Destiny. <laughs> And, and Destiny being an ongoing thing mm-hmm. that just like basically it's a new game every year. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could treat that a little bit differently. I mean, it is a little different. It, you, yes, man. Well, I'm sure back then they weren't even thinking about yeah. the idea of live games. And games yeah, games that serve. Yeah, I mean, he, bizarre. you never know. I mean, he was ambitious enough to make an online multiplayer game. When, when you say five Halo games, that's Halos 1 through 3, ODST, and Reach. Reach. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yep. Um, Do so, you guys miss Bungie and Halo? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I miss Halo, but I have the Master Chief Collection. I can go play it. And Halo. No. <laughs> so I, I like it. I, I like Destiny a lot, and I think I probably like the way Destiny feels now better than I yeah, like Halo. If you go back to Halo now, um, just because you know, things have changed with how shooters play, it, sometimes it feels very sluggish. Some of us went back to play Halo today. Yeah. Um, I think that the shooting still feels good in Halo. Um, you know, I still am in love with that world. Um, Master Chief is still the baddest dude in the universe. There's still some really great lines. There's some really good set pieces in there. Yeah. I, so I, I went back and played a little bit of Master Chief Collection, which I don't like. Uh, I, as much as I love Halo 1, 2, and 3, I think I think 343, when they put out that collection... It doesn't feel right to me. It feels just a little bit off, and I can't put my finger on why. Um, but but I went back and played through uh, the first half of, of Halo CE, and it's still pretty fun. Like still yeah. still really solid. It's fun to it's fun to shoot those aliens. The the AI is still really solid. Plasma um, grenades. It's fun to stick. Plasma grenades still. are fun to stick. I. I felt like it was easier to stick things than it was when I was playing playing today. Like some of those elites really jump out of the way quick. I think what's wild for me is, and I don't want to get this too off track, but like I'm just like having a lot of nostalgia talking through this stuff right now, and like kind of seeing where they end up going. And I don't want to jump ahead and mm-hmm. discredit it, but like legitimately, like at the table, like you have Mario as a, a household name. Like Halo has a lot of the same clout. I mean, generationally speaking, there was a lot of time between Halo and Mario. But I think that Halo has that impact on on absolutely. We it's we, a household name we like would Marvel. not have a Project Scarlet 
no. the next Xbox without Halo. No, I mean, like, legitimately, early 2000s I mean, they had, on. They had uh, Brute Force on the Xbox, but... I kind of like Brute Force. That game is all right. Um, it's a good time. You know what I mean, though. Like, it, this is insanely popular as Halo, Halo 2 were. If those games hadn't come out, the Xbox would be... Uh, It'd be the, like a Dreamcast. It might It might have been a Dreamcast. It, it, who knows? Maybe it would have gone on to keep doing something I mean, to stick around. It's not, it became a phenomenon because of Halo. It's not for us, right? None of us play it. I'm not here to knock it, but like Fortnite. Fortnite, to me, when I look at what's happening with Fortnite today in 2019, I am taken back to early yeah, 2000s. It's, it's one of those once every... 10 years if yeah. you're lucky yeah. franchises yeah. or something that comes out and just sweeps us off mm-hmm. of our feet yep. it's up there with your Grand Theft Autos yeah. your yeah. Halos and Mario your Pokemon Pokemon yeah all those like there's a few mile markers on this path that we've been all riding on for decades now and there's a long stretch of road that I was looking at nothing but Halo like that was my game like nothing else mattered to me for a yeah. period of time for years for this like was well it. over 10 years this was the thing that I would come back to consistently. It was like, I, I don't want to talk about it right now in detail, but like, as you mentioned, I, I pulled up Bungie.net and I pulled up some shit and like, there's screenshots here and like, I had like yeah, a wave I, of emotions come through. I can go through. and look at the maps I made in Forge. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm seeing, yeah. like, I can tell you about the people I was hanging out with at the time, like, the clan name, all that shit that's happening here. Like, I'm looking at my gamer tag. I remember like, picking the colors out for it and like, how important that was to me. Like, mm-hmm. things that I, have stored so deep in my mind like I forgot about like it's so so subversive in my yeah and, my and like going back to Master Chief Collection today just like hearing like being able to say the lines before you heard them because you just know exactly what they're going to say and it, there was something really satisfying about that and like getting getting in that tank on assault in the control assault the control room uh, it, is that the best mission? it is the best mission <laughs> and it's right before the game goes to shit when they introduce the flood uh, but like it's it's tank tank beats ghost tank beats hunter tank beats everything. Like, oh, hey, I got news for you. So good. Hive are just baby flood. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it is. <sighs> we don't need right. more. We, we don't need more flood. So we need to talk about marathon. Yeah. So um, sorry, I just wanted to change. Oh, we all. Did. That's totally fine. Uh, this would be way less interesting if I was just reading directly off this off the screen. Is, is that because it's you, or is it because it's older stuff? Let's continue. <laughs> so, if Pathways into Darkness established Bungie as a force to be reckoned with in the Mac gaming world, Marathon would see them fighting to take the crown for that, like as the as the Mac developer. Sure. Uh, so, on, defi- on December twenty first, nineteen ninety four, Marathon comes out, and as the editors of Computer Gaming World wrote, this three D action fest was a big reason all the Mac users kept saying, "Doom what." And you said 94 was also the year that Doom came out. So On the Mac. Like now, yeah. now they have, like, do you want to play this? Marathon Doom, or Doom. A couple years old port? I don't know when the original Doom came out. 93. Uh, okay. So, like, a um, year old port of a, of a game, or, like, here's something new that... That does, was a total phenom. Yeah. Does new things. Yeah. Um, so, is that statement hyperbolic? Absolutely. Sure. Um, but this was a time, and as we said earlier, it still rings true, Mac gamers had very little to brag about when it came to the games that were on their platform. You guys want to play some Collider? Yes. Um, <laughs> so with such a limited selection of games, it's easy to develop an inferiority complex. Uh, by, 90, by October of 1995, Marathon had sold 150,000 copies. Almost a year between them, by the way. So Doom came out December 10th, 93. 
Marathon, December 21st, 94. So almost a year between the two. And then can you look up what Doom, the Mac port of Doom came out? I mean, obviously it would have been before then because I doubt it would have been later in December. Yeah, it just said 1994 in this article. Um, So the first marathon game uh, primarily takes board place. Was it just called Marathon or did it have a subtitle? It was just Marathon. Okay. Uh, Aboard uh, the UESC. Replace one letter from that. Interesting. Uh, Marathon is the name of the ship. Uh, It's an Earth colony ship. Uh, It was constructed uh, from the Martian moon uh, Deimos, or Deimos, however you want to say that. Uh, it's on a mission to settle a co- colony in the Tau Ceti system's fourth planet. I think it's Deimos, like like deity or deity. Makes sense. Uh, and as the main character of this, you play a unnamed security officer uh, who's coming back to the marathon from the colony when he's attacked by aliens uh, via an electromagnetic pulse. Uh, the whole narrative is told through computer terminals uh, and conversations that you have with the various AI that are aboard the ship. Um, so there are three of them. Uh, there's Leela, Durandal, and Tycho. Or Tysh, it's Tycho, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so throughout, through the course of the game, uh, you learn that Durandal has actually become self-aware and become rampant. Now, where have I heard that, that word before? That familiar to me at all. Um, and he was actually the one that was in communication with the attacking aliens, uh, a race of aliens called the Th-th-th-th. It's S apostrophe P-H-T. <laughs> Can I throw something out there really quick? Yeah. To answer Chase's question. So this yeah. is this is a bit more interesting, too. So as you, I previously stated, Marathon, December 21st, 94. Doom for Mac, November 4th, 94. So you're, you're talking... Came out before. Like a month and some change mm-hmm. of people playing Doom. So there's probably a pretty big zeitgeist and buzz happening at that point in time. Almost a year of Doom for PC comes to Mac, and then Marathon uh, coming from a, a lesser-known company than id Software at the time. To set that stage. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so the game uh, ends... Let's see. So this... I'll call them the Spit. I'll call them the Spit. Okay. Because I don't know how to pronounce that. I don't know either. Um, so they are actually being controlled by a different alien race called the... Four P P F H O R. A whole bungee in your names. Yep. Uh, so the game ends with the player freeing the spit from the four, uh, and the spit releasing their hold on Leela, who up until that point you believed to have been destroyed. Uh, Tycho was wiped out completely. Uh, so the ship departs, and the player and Leela clear out the remaining four on the marathon and assess the full damage to the ship. Um, and let's see, so I, I had a really terrible time tracking down like written reviews for sure. some of these games. Yeah, I think so. Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of it was before online publications. And publications that might have been out there, like, if they were talking about the Mac, they probably died at some point. Yeah, because they were probably Mac-specific publications, yeah. so we'd have to be relying on, like, a web archive of this. Um, but there is there is definitely video of this game out there. Absolutely, there. yeah. You can you can find this game being played, and you can mm-hmm. kind of see like, yeah, it looks, it it looks, looks like, like one Doom. of those. It looks like Doom. Uh, I, I played it a little bit on the iOS port that came mm-hmm. out in 20, 2011, I believe is when that came out. Um, so I don't have a lot of direct quotes to go off of for this, but I think that you know its legacy and lasting impact on the FPS genre 
shouldn't really be understated. It was a very important game at the time. Like Halo. Really good pistol. Yes. Good pistols, um, man. So it was one of the very first games to allow the player to look look freely around using the mouse. Uh, and its multiplayer actually won the award for best network game of 1995 by the Mac World Game Hall of Fame. Oh, that seems a little yeah. biased. In 1996, <laughs> Computer Gaming World named it the 64th best game ever. You know what? 64 is not bad. I love the Nintendo 64. Yeah. It's great. You know, out of 100, 64? It's a fine system. You're not the best, you're not um, the worst, you're comfortable. Well, there weren't just so, 100 games. There were a lot more than 100, so um, you get 64 is pretty solid. <laughs> This is this is my favorite fact. Yeah. Uh, do you guys remember the Pippin? No. No. The Apple Pippin. Do you know what the that name is? is familiar, but I don't. Isn't that one of the characters from Lord of the Rings? It is. Peregrine Took. Uh, <laughs> Wait. Is is maybe it's another thing? Wasn't there like a PDA thing? That, Apple that was made? something else. Oh, there's some PDA. This was an actual right console. What was, what was that? Uh, made by Bandai. <laughs> Along with Apple, yeah. it, was, it was a complete and total failure. Um, but it's the Pip Pin. Pippin. Um, so. Oh man, that controller is bad. So along with the first marathon, marathon two. I was thinking of sorry. Was actually. Pippin, you know. Oh god, I, you know what, Johnny? I do remember this controller. Yeah. It had a here, chase. I yeah. You got it pulled up. No, I can pull it up. Oh my god, that controller. Um, so, Marathon 1 and 2 came out bundled together. It's called Super Marathon. Uh, it was published by Bandai and has the privilege of being the very first console game developed by Bungie. I've never seen this console before. Uh, really? I taught you something you didn't know about that video game. Lawyered. It looks like a Dreamcast. It looks like a Dreamcast for sure. it sold like a Dreamcast. Uh, substantially less. <laughs> the controller looks like... For those of you who are listening, if you remember back before the PS3 came the out. The boomerang? The, it, it the rumored like boomerang the controller. boomerang PS3 controller in the Dreamcast colors. It's Dreamcast colors for sure. Yeah. Where the home button would be on an on a Xbox One controller, there's an actual mouse trackball. So we had one of these mice growing up in my house. It was a stationary mouse that had a gigantic ball uh-huh. that you moved My through. grandma had one. <laughs> Me and your grandma probably would have played a lot of Bejeweled together. Um, but the controller looks... Ergonomically speaking, absolutely like a nightmare. Um, so, also, Mara- they released Marathon 2 on Windows 95. That has its subtitle. Marathon 2 Durandale. Okay. Uh, in March ah, of- named after the AI. Yeah. Yeah, because I know that now. And in March of 96, when they made the announcement, they got hundreds of un- angry emails from Mac gamers who felt betrayed. Did they do a console? No, that they ported, they, they, they put out a, a Windows yeah. version of Marathon. Uh, so my, well, I'm glad that's over with, and nobody ever overreacts to things like yeah, that. Yeah. So let me read this this out to you guys, okay? Yeah. Here's the it. quote: "You fucking assholes have gone and done it now. You said you wouldn't create Marathon for PC. Fucking liars. What if what if I to hold above P, the PC gamers' heads now, huh? You fuckers." Bitch, trick, horse, slut-ass fuckers. Oh, yeah, that's a 12-year-old. Burn in hell, assholes. 
You know you what? Know, this is this 4chan that we're reading from? You know, I was actually going to buy the Marathon Marathon 2 bundle, but not now. You assholes ain't getting any of my money. Fuck you. I'll fucking use a copy from a friend. So I guess the lesson here is that gamers have always been self-entitled assholes. I, I think we knew that. <laughs> what was the gamers... What was the username there? It didn't say. Is there any 69s or 420s in that I, username? Th- this was uh, a letter. This is pre-XXX420XXX. <laughs> yeah, this was an email someone sent in. What do you think this person is up to today? I don't know. You're probably dead. He's a successful businessman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Marathon 2 Durandale Durandale uh, actually uh, is probably probably something from myth that I should know but uh, it's also the name of a sword in uh, Fire Emblem there you go yep really yeah. um, it's the one that Ellie would and then uh, later Roy gets it in those games Roy um, so, Fire Emblem's good uh, Fire Emblem's pretty good it's Johnny really good finish it. I really need to. Um, so Marathon 2 takes place 17 years after the events of the first game, with you reprising the role as a security officer who has been frozen for the last 17 years aboard mm. the four-ship Sphira. Sphira? Also, this officer's got, like, a green helmet. He has a green helmet mm. with, a or- with an orange visor. Mm. Uh, there may have been one that came out for Halo 3 that looks like the Marathon helmet. Uh, and so, uh, the ship he's on has been commandeered by the rampant AI from the first game, Durandale. So, a synopsis of this would take way too long to go over. So, I'm just going to go over some of the bigger moments. This is the one that had, like, the big bubble? Yeah. Pfizer? Mm-hmm. Mostly, mostly um, Pfizer face? So, I don't remember. yes, it is. Uh, by the end of the game, you've, uh, helped free the spit from the four after thousands of years of enslavement. Uh, you reactivated an ancient spit AI called Thoth. Uh, Tycho, one of the other AI from the first games, is resurrected by four, by the four. And then, uh, in a dramatic moment, Durandal has the player destroy his, his core logic centers so he isn't captured by the four. Uh, and this results in you, the player, being captured by Tycho. Uh, the security officer is freed from a group of humans who launched a surprise attack on the prison. Uh, Durandal reappears and celebrates a victory over Tycho by way of some clever ruse. It sounds it sounds a little like um, like Halo by way of System Shock almost. A little bit, yeah. I'm sure there was some connective tissue with all these things. Um, and uh, let's see, Durandal briefly contemplates the origin of an ancient fit legend that describes terrible beings. And I'm going to try that. Lahoan Sun. Lawan. You're pretty close. Uh, so basically this would lead into the next game in the series Marathon Infinity because they released some terrible godlike creature oh, no. um, so Guys, Halo Infinity <laughs> yeah um, wow you know I will say like reading through the plot of, of these games like it actually is some pretty solid sci-fi writing surprise surprise hmm. Um, they know what they're good at. Well, and they, they also cared about story in a way that, that other places didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, you think about the Doom story, there isn't really one. No. It's, it's Space Marine goes in and kills aliens. Yeah, there's a deep, deep lore to this stuff. So yeah. even though this game is essentially Doom in its gameplay, like, it has, it's going for... Yeah, there's lots of dialogue to go through in those uh, computer terminals. I mean, even... Even Destiny, 
I think has some really cool story beats. Absolutely. I, yeah. I think it's a shame that in Destiny 1 it was so hidden with all the Grimoire cards. I stuff. know. I'm not going like, to... I wanted to get more of it. I've, I've watched the hours-long, here's everything, here's like the Destiny timeline, here's what happened to yeah. Osiris and why he was gone, and then... Like, there, I think there's always really cool lore stuff, and it's it sucks that it's just kind of... It's not it's not put up front in Destiny as much as something like Halo, where I yeah, feel like it was which really is more tough. more difficult in you know a game of the nature. I would read a Destiny book, absolutely, in the same way that I read multiple Halo novels. Uh, yes, <laughs> as did I. Eric Nyland, good stuff. Um, I mean, I think that anybody else who's written a Halo book, man. You know, I, I that's one thing I do get down on myself for is I didn't get into all the surrounding stories to go deeper with it, um, and. I would be lying if I told you like I enjoyed the campaign then, and this this is like a huge pivotal point in my the way I play games. But I didn't really give a shit about the campaign on on, on Halo. And you were not alone in that. Absolutely not. But like I wish that like it's something that I probably should go back through now. I, I would honestly suggest you read. You don't have to read any other Halo book other than The Fall of Reach. That's the first one. Very good. It's the prequel to Halo, and then Halo Reach is kind of. The, the game Halo Reach kind of changes some stuff in there, but it's generally... Generally speaking, it's this... It's the quintessential? I mean, it's the origin story of Master Chief, and I think mm-hmm. it does a pretty good job of telling that story and, and making making the Covenant feel like a real threat while also like being like, making the, the Spartans seem pretty cool, too. Uh, and there are some other ones, too. There's, uh, I think it's First Contact. That's the one that comes after... So um, there's so much strike. for it. First Striker, First Contact. Yeah. And there's still a TV series coming, right? There was a TV There was just a bunch of stuff that came out recently. Showtime is still doing it. Yeah. They've there, cast people. There was that web thing. That Forward into Dawn. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, was, that was okay. Yeah, I like that. I, I like the idea of Halo. Um, mm-hmm. I think once once we got to Halo 4 and 343 started coming up with new things and the Forerunners became actual... Like they're still around, or they we mm-hmm. resurrected them, and like that stuff started to get like lost me. Not my favorite. Quite a bit, but yeah. man, that that Halo one two three Reach ODST, and then those books man, that came ODST. Out I think it's I think it's really so good. I am dying for Firefight. Like I played a lot of Firefight back in the day. And yeah, it, is, it is First Strike. So I would um, say definitely read Fall of Reach and First Strike because that is. What happens before a Halo, and then what happens directly after Halo between one and two? Again, off subject. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Infinity, is that? That's not a prequel, is it? I have no idea. I don't think. Have they said anything uh, about that? Actually, I think it's. I it's think gonna, it's a sequel. Like we've we've seen the footage. It's going to conclude whatever. He's got all the old armor on in the trailers for that. I mean, his armor changes in every game. This is the. This is like Halo Two, Halo Three era armor. I don't think it's. I, I think. I think it's a, a sequel to five. I think they're finishing the fight again. Yeah. And again. For the second time. <laughs> Finish the fight one more fight. Um, anyway. Yeah, sorry. Um, Gameplay-wise, not much changes from Marathon 1 to 2. Uh, a lot of the core elements. Uh, it gets a new coat of paint, though. Yeah. It looks like definitely an upgrade yeah, so from the first Marathon. It, yeah, it feels very different due to an upgraded engine. Uh, playing in mostly open environments instead of on the ship, and uh, you have the ability to swim in this game. Uh, there's four types of liquid, water, sewage, lava, and goo, with lava and goo damaging you. Um, but sewage doesn't do anything. Hmm. Hmm. 
Uh, and in some instances, uh, using terminals, you can actually raise and lower the tides. Um, so everything, the story. The water temple is what you're saying. Yes, it's the water temple. Great. I beat that the first try. My name's Johnny. I did. I don't see what the big deal is with the water temple. It's I fine. never said that because the second time I tried to do it, I could not replicate what I did the first time. The water temple is great, guys. I don't know why everybody hate, hates the water temple. Why well, you make me sound like Trump? Um, <laughs> Wrong. So anyway, uh, story is still towed through terminals. Um, they introduced health packs and oxygen tanks, but they still had fixed stations that you go to to refill those as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one new weapon, the WSTE M5 combat shotgun. Every other weapon, you know, got at least a cosmetic change and actually uh, some uh, functionality changes as well. Uh, they updated the HUD, made the viewable area larger, and uh, the soundtrack went from a full musical accompaniment to more ambient with sounds like the wind and running water. Uh, and uh, for the multiplayer, because uh, those games... And, and this is still Mac, right? Yes. But I, I think it probably got a port to PC as well at this point. Marathon 2, yeah, 96 is when okay. that happens. Um, and... Uh, they took what they created, let's see, for the multiplayer, they expanded upon it, they added several new game modes, uh, making the tool six, and here they are. Okay. Tell me if any of these sound familiar. Sure. Killed a man with a ball. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> King of the Hill. Uh-huh. Uh, and, like, Deathmatch, like, basically... I'm sorry, it's called Slayer? Yeah. Kill the Team man, kill the man with the ball, you might better know as Oddball. Uh, so the ball, also a skull, a marathon, and whoever holds it the longest wins. God, that was such a fun um, one. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. King of the Hill is King of the Hill. Um, they also had a mode that was kind of like Juggernaut. Pain accessory. <laughs> they had a mode kind of like Juggernaut called Tag, but you wanted to not Was there a zombie mode? It, and I don't think that you got any boost to armor or anything but there was one player that everyone was trying to kill sure. if you killed them then you became it. I mean kind of there's only so many things you can do with with first person shooter multiplayer right so a lot of this doesn't surprise me that they would come back to some of these ideas Go but back. also like you know, fun fun things um so it was a critical success uh and as of 2002 uh it's lifetime sales were just below 200,000 copies um, right. here, okay, so I have some conflicting information with this. I, I read something that said they wouldn't break the 200,000 mark before Halo, mm -hmm. but then later on one of their games sold like 350,000. So I don't know if that means like, I don't know. Like per platform or something? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I couldn't figure that out. Um, so in 2007, uh, they actually released Marathon 2 on Xbox Live Arcade. And unfortunately, like a lot of games from that time, it really showed its age, um, but it also shined a light on how much things can stay the same, especially with shooters. Um, so Jason Ocampo of GameSpot uh, puts it in his closing remarks of his review from the 2007 release. He says, Marathon Durandell's value is mainly that of a cultural artifact of an earlier age, 
One that comes in at 800 points. Remember points? Oh, man. Microsoft points? Jesus. Ten bucks. The best. At the same time, it's also a bit startling to realize just how little the genre has evolved since the days of the original Marathon. The advancements introduced by Marathon are numerous. It was the first shooter to feature dual-wielding weapons, as well as a real-time map. And, of course, it was a spiritual predecessor to Halo. As a game, though, it really shows its age, and it proves to be an interesting, though not exactly engaging experience. Fair. Seems fair. Fair. A lot of a lot of early 3D games from that time, you go back and try and play them now, is more of, hey, this would have been really cool back then. Um, but we've, you know, all, a lot of these developers learned and grown and put out stuff that's way better than what they were putting out back in the day. Sure, as expected. Yeah, um, but we should still appreciate what these games did uh, for the genre and for just gaming as a whole. So, the third and final game... It's still real to me, damn it. (laughs) It's real to me. Uh, Third and final game uh, in the Marathon trilogy is Marathon Infinity, released in October of 96, uh, less than one year after the release of of Marathon 2. Um, So, the code for the game changed so little that a lot of the levels could be played unmodified in either game. So you could take levels from Marathon 1, bring them to Marathon 2, and vice versa, and they play perfectly fine. So it's kind of like how they've just taken Madden 19 to Madden 20. So much so that they just left the same banners up, because it was that easy to port. Yes. And you, know, you just change some names in the roster, and Marathon. all good. Madden. Uh-huh. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> okay. Um, so this this game is wild because yes, the way that they tell the story is very interesting. Mm-hmm. They wanted to try something really different. Um, so let's see. So I mentioned the the evil god creature, which was released, and that's that's what you're trying to fight in this. Um, so, but as far as the plot structure goes. Uh, they took a departure from the first two games and intentionally went with something with a much more complex and difficult to follow story. I actually read a quote from one of the writers that said they did that on purpose. Huh. Um, so you reprise your role as a security officer. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Dur- the same one through all yes. three? Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, your old buddy Durndal is there with you. Um, so it takes place through different acts um, but treats most if not all of the events of Marathon 2 as if they didn't happen. Um, So the solo levels uh, are broken into four sections, each with a unique intro screen, and they're titled Prologue, Despair, Rage, and Envy. So excluding the prologue, uh, the remaining three levels uh, are synonymous with, the names of those are synonymous with the first three stages of AI Rampancy, Melancholia, Anger, and Jealousy. So this suggests that you, the player, may be a cyborg of some kind going through your own rampancy. Mm. Um, So in the four sections, you jump between alternate realities through dreamlike surreal sequences, uh, and you're trying to prevent the release of Werkactenter. However you say that. Well said. Um, Worcestershire sauce. Yes. Uh, It's never made clear what's causing the jumps to happen, uh, there's a wide variety of theories that people put out there, uh, ranging from ancient alien technology, uh, the influence of Warcactner himself. You're saying theories, like it's never explicit. Fan theories or like theories yes. inside the game. Fan, oh. like okay. stuff 
that people have taken and put out there like this is why I think this is what's actually happening okay uh, so it's never explicitly stated you know what's happening they leave it very much open to interpretation um, Blade Runner yes uh, but this one also introduced uh, being able to make binary choices at certain points which can actually result in failure uh, should you choose incorrectly uh, how much of this like stuff did you, you know before this? No. Whether this. you choose to shoot the alien or not shoot the alien? Yes. Would you kill me, yes or if no? I, if I chose not to shoot the alien, I would die. It's wild. Like I, I mean, I think that... Tears in the rain. What I'm seeing so far is an absolute correlation between Bungie we know today. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, like, the culture, the core of who they are, the stories that they like to tell, you know... It, it doesn't change much. You know, the, the settings and the There's aliens that you're fighting change. Hmm? There's obviously still toxicity from the fans on yeah. what Bungie's deciding to do. I think that's... That's just, just that's, part that's of... That's just fans. Yeah. Them. Of any medium. Um, you know, uh, so... Let's see. Uh, so, yeah, you make these choices. Sometimes you can fail. Uh, you can even reach the final level before you have what you need to complete it. Uh, signifying that the jumps that breath of the wild. you're experiencing uh, are to try and get the most favorable outcome. Uh, and like the rest of the game, the ending leaves it open to interpretation. Uh, but it does... Mass effect, anybody? Yeah. It does seem like you are ultimately successful, though, in your quest to contain... Let me try this one more time. Work in cact... Er, it's, it's a fucked up word. Yeah, I, I, um, don't so, me. I just work here. Multiplayer and Infinity, identical to Marathon 2. They added some new maps, uh, which was designed by a studio called Double Ought, uh, which is now a defunct company that was actually founded by some ex-Bungie employees. Um, Double Ought also created the monsters, physics, and weapon settings for the Blood Tides of Lowen scenario in Infinity. Um, so, I did not know this either. Uh, Infinity... Uh, Marathon Infinity introduced the Forge, which is one of my favorite features from Halo 3 and Reach. And it it worked basically the same way. It was, uh, you know, you could make your own levels. There was also a graphics editor they put it out called Anvil. Uh, so you could use the tools that Bungie used themselves uh, to make the game. I've heard about this. Forge and Anvil? Yeah. yeah. And... It just seems to be something that they continue to bring into it. Like yeah. it's, it's wild to hear. Like I didn't know much about Bungie before Halo. Like I, I legitimately didn't. Yeah. Like and again, there's some pretty big concepts here that we know. Mm-hmm. There's concepts that I'm hearing about right now that like we'll be seeing probably in two weeks, three weeks, and Shadowkeep. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I think that there's some commonalities here that are. Hard to ignore, but like really impressive that they. It tells me that they've been pretty aware of who they wanted to be and who they were and who they are today. Yeah, which is great. Despite a large portion, like this is over thirty years, or almost thirty years. Nineteen ninety-one. Like there's yeah. certainly a lot of, um, you know, they they went through people. Yeah. Nobody's. I'm sure there are some people who have been there the whole time, but a lot of people. Like just a handful. Yeah. I, mean, I think Luke Smith's probably close to. To all of us in age. I'm not sure. I think he's a little older, but yeah. So he's, I mean, what I'm saying though is like, he was around a lot of the same impacts culturally that we were. He was experiencing. Uh, he was reviewing games for one up in EGM. Right. 
But yeah. the point, what I'm saying though is that like now he's been doing that and he's going into a company and he's like picking up the mantle and still carrying the, some of that stuff out with Destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, culturally, culturally speaking, you know, the, you know, like they've been tapped into the same consistent. shit. Pretty consistent. Yeah, I, I mean, mean like, you have Jason Jones there, who's a co-founder, um, but you know they are fiercely independent, very irreverent, they like extremely casual. They encourage like open discourse, like. They, they want people who are newer to be able to come to someone who's been there for a long time and give them some critical feedback and not feel weird about that. So it seems like it's a pretty good work environment and a, a cool yeah. c- culture that they founded. They know who they are is, yeah. I guess, what I'm trying to say. Like, they've um, been tapped into it for some time. Yeah. Um, so uh, Infinity, uh, it was well-received. Sure. Surprise, surprise. Uh, it took home CNET's uh, CNET Game Center's best Macintosh game of the year in 1996, beating out. I didn't know this either. Obviously, it beat Warcraft 2 and Wing Commander 4: The Price of Freedom. Uh, and from this is a quote from the CNET write-up. Uh, let's see the complexity and puzzle-solving aspects created logical challenges that other 3D shooters on any platform didn't approach. So people liked it. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> In summary, people, people like, like this. Yep. I'm a good person. People <laughs> like me. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't fault you too much because you have done all this research, but just summing it up that way. People liked it. I mean, you know what? People, they they people made this like game, it. and uh, you know, it was good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, after the success of Marathon, Bungie decides to head in an entirely different direction with their next next series, Myth. And this is the one I knew the least about. Yeah, I knew nothing about um, But it sounds fucking rad. Um, so uh, they decided to take a stab at the real-time tactics genre. Now, what sets this apart from RTS is there's no base building. Um, basically, you start each level with your troops already assembled, and you're just trying to reach a goal of some kind. You know, killing a number of enemies, making it across the map, Whatever. There, I mean, there would be other games that would do similar things, like but this. is it Dawn of War Two that's like the big famous? I'm not sure. I, I didn't play a bunch of PC but, games, but you know, you know from like uh, what like so Age of Empires, like the, the first MOBA is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is MOBA. Pick a lane, junglers. Those are the two Dota terms that I know. Well done. Um, All so, out. Um, they put out two Myth games, uh, Myth The Fallen Lords and Myth 2 Soul Blighter. Uh, a prequel to Myth came out, actually, which they called Myth 3 for some reason, even though it was a prequel. Myth 3 The Wolf Age. Uh, that was put out in 2001, uh, developed by a studio called Mumbo Jumbo. I've heard of them. Uh, and the reason, so the reason they decided to have do this... You, or have you just played Banjo-Kazooie? Yeah. That's right. Um, and the reason they decided to, to pursue this route uh, was because uh, Jason Jones actually saw some screenshots for Quake. That's really tripping me up. Jones. We'll call him Jones. Thank you. Uh, he felt that he saw screenshots for Quake, uh, its next game, and uh, he felt that it was going to be too similar to the shooter that they were working on at the time. Uh, so Mark Bernal, one of Bungie's artists, stated in an interview with the Chicago Reader, uh, quote, We didn't quite know what he planned. One day he mentioned, What do you think about having this world with 100 guys feeding 100 other guys on 3D? And we're like, huh, yeah, I guess so. That might be cool. Um, so they've been working on this other project for two months. Um, but as Jones states in Myth, 
the Fallen Lord's strategies and secrets, and one day we switched our project from a shooter game that would have, have had us chasing our competition's tail to what has basically become myth. So they struck out, they decided to do their own thing again. Um, so they drew inspiration from all sorts of different sources, uh, you know, different films, sure. literature, but they also took great pains to avoid anything they considered cliché. In uh, uh, a Gama Sutra article, a what? Gama Sutra. Gama Sutra. Gama Sutra. Oh, so. Not Gama Sutra. That's what I it. thought. Um, in 1998. Have uh, you not heard of this website before today? Yeah. Okay, just. So Jason Ryder, uh, he was a program for Bungie, Bungie until he moved to Blizzard uh, in 1999. He worked on Diablo actually. Um, Ooh, he says, I've heard of that "Our original too. design document, if you could call it that, was simply opposing lists of stuff that rocks and stuff that sucks. Anything vaguely cliche, such as excessive references to Tolkien novels, Arthur- Arthurian legend, or little boys coming of age and saving the world, went into the sucks category. The stuff that rocks Tolkien sucks. Well, I think it was the overuse. Of overuse. Yeah. I would tend to agree with the first. <laughs> Guys are." bringing me down right now um so the stuff that rocks list was filled with ideas that contributed to the visual realism of the game a true 3d landscape polygonal buildings reflecting water particle based weather blood spattered battlefields littered with limbs explosions that send shockwaves this definitely doesn't suck through the terrain I like how the two lists are basically story sucks. Yeah. Cool game shit. Cool. Yeah. This rocks. And, uh, lightning frying guys and their friends. <laughs> they really put a lot of heart yeah, and soul into that. Sure. Um, yeah. So in the last little bit from this quote, this uh, article here, our goals for the product were lofty. Simultaneous release on Windows 95 and Macintosh, integrated internet play, and a free online service, which we know as Bungie.net. Uh, that allow players from across the globe to battle one another. From this vision, Myth the Fallen Lords was born. Um, so, uh, some interesting things I found. Um, so, a lot of the code between the different versions of the game uh, was platform agnostic. So, it meant, according to Riger, uh, we spent almost all our time implementing features and solving real problems rather than wasting it fighting the OS. The warriors who are left-handed is stored in platform-independent files called tags. Tags are automatically byte-swapped when necessary and are accessed via a cross-platform file manager. So they made something that basically, like, they made their lives a whole lot easier by developing the game this way. Hmm. And it actually had cross-platform play between Mac and PC. Wow. Here we are, 2019, <laughs> trying to figure that shit out. Yep. Bungie's over here sipping the um, drink. So as I said before, each each, uh, each mission... They're not, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have a different objective that you need to complete. Uh, the overall focus of the game, stop me if you've heard this as well, is for you to defeat... It's to, for your much smaller force to defeat a much larger one called the Dark. Mm-hmm. Can you guess what your force is called? <laughs> light. No idea. It's called Light. No. <laughs> um, actually, so the full story, much more de- detailed. I was and I was afraid any summary I tried to write simply wouldn't do it justice. And I would strongly encourage you guys to go out and read about it because it's it's actually a really cool story. I mean, I've played Destiny, so I know Dark versus Light. Yeah, but this is this is fantasy, though. You know, this is not sci-fi. 
Um, so, but, but, swords and but despite the labels light and dark, uh, the game world is a very amoral place, and it's not really clear who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Everyone has done terrible shit to one another. Um, so, uh, Doug Zartman, Bungie's PR person and first full-time employee, he says, one of the things we liked was that Cook presents, I think Cook is someone who worked on the game, this pretty immoral world. One side is sort of the good guys because the narrator is on that side, but they're not on a moral high ground over their opponents. It's not a simple good-evil dichotomy. We're dealing with a sophisticated world here with politics and treachery and betrayal from both sides. As much conflict from within the ranks as from the enemy. Pretty cool. Like, that's... I think that's an interesting method of storytelling, for sure. Anytime things are not so clear, I really enjoy that. That's, like, one of the reasons why I know you and I like The Witcher, Bobby. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, uh, Cook, because I read that Chicago Reader article you you sent us to to check out. Um, there's a guy named Glenn Cook who's an author of some fantasy novels, and that's what they took their ideas from. They yes. didn't want to go with Tolkien. Thank you. They wanted to go with something a little darker. Tolkien was on the sucks list. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Tolkien was on the sucks list. Sucks big dick. So, so they. Uh, but this guy, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, Glenn Cook. Anyone, Glenn Cook rocks. Anyone named Glenn is a cool person. He had a fantasy novel called The Black Company that they rocks. They liked. They liked that mm-hmm. angel nature that Johnny was going on about. Uh, something else that set Myth apart from other strategy games was that it didn't use an isometric camera. You actually had multiple viewing angles. Um, So in an interview with GameSpot, Zartman again says, uh, we were trying real hard to come up with a term that was different from real time. We're calling it multi-metric tactical game. Multi-metric, I made that word up because it's not an isometric game in the conventional sense. There are many angles a player can have and many views the camera can take. And we're calling it tactical because there are no elements of the game that focus on resource management. It's strictly a tactical game. And I think multimetric is the most PR creative word I've ever heard. Yeah, that sounds... Well, I mean, I can see where it came from, but it, it does sound like in a vacuum. What does our resident copywriter creative mind think? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> uh, that's what I think. Uh, no, like yeah, in a vacuum, you could hear that, and it sounds like really buzzword. This is multi-metric, sure. guys. Yeah. But um, like hearing like uh, it's not isometric because it's more than one. Yes. Right, but, right. Uh, yeah, I get it. And this was the first game that Marty O'Donnell would compose music for. Mm. They actually originally weren't going to have music in this game, but he insisted. Marty is like, like there. I would say. The people I think of when I think of Bungie is Mario O'Donnell, Marty O'Donnell, Frank O'Connor, and Luke Smith. Like, yeah, so are like yeah. the three that like really come to mind. Yeah, that's all. That all tracks. And only one of them works there anymore. Yep. Oh, Luke. Hey, Frank's still making Halo games. Yes, but for three four three. Right. Uh, is, there, is three four three composed of ex Bungie? A couple of them. Like a couple of them left to to stick around. Yeah, they they wanted to keep getting wanted to keep doing Halo. Probably wanted to keep getting that sweet paycheck. Um, and then, but yeah, like Frank O'Connor, there were a few other people. Uh, I, I can't remember any of their names. Few, a few women, and I feel really bad not knowing their names, yeah. that, that went over there and, and started um, working for 343, or started up 343 and, and yeah. built that. So they're putting everything they have into this, this brand new IP genre. They have no proven track record. Uh, and with a team that you know is a fraction of the size of some of the other larger studios out there, uh, how did it pan out? Well, uh, it'd be a critical and commercial success. 
It won Game of the Year awards from Macworld and Computer Games Strategy Plus, along with Strategy Game of the Year from Computer Gaming World and Real-Time Game of the Year from PC Gamer. So it was heavily lauded at the time. Yeah. Um, it has sorry, a, I, I just, sorry, I remembered somebody else from 343, and she's got the best name ever. It's Wolf something, right? Kiki Wolfkill. Yeah. Kiki Wolfkill? Kiki Wolfkill. That's a badass. She's That's, very cool. I was going to, I couldn't remember. All I remember was the wolf part. Um, so Myth, Fallen Lords, actually is, sits at a 91 on Metacritic, so. That's high. Yeah. Um, so it costs. Is that higher or lower than Breath of the Wild? Lower. <laughs> Uh, so it cost $2 million to develop and market it. Uh, it was their most expensive game by a very wide margin. Uh, however, it sold 350,000 units worldwide, earning Bungie a cool $14 million. Uh, from 1993 to 97, Bungie's profits rose 2,228%. Um, their next game, another sequel, will be Myth 2 Soul Blighter. Uh, it was considered an improvement uh, of the first Myth game in almost every aspect. But they hate sequels. Hey, they don't hate that sweet, sweet money. <laughs> uh, so critics praised the upgraded and more detailed graphics, improved level design, uh, they made the AI more sophisticated, they improved the UI and the control scheme, and added better sound effects. So it outsold the original uh, and became Bungie's best-selling game. So despite all that... Myth 2, along with the very short-lived Bungie West's Oni, were the last titles they released before being acquired by Microsoft. So I think you know, the story of Myth 2 is the story of a studio that was on an upward trajectory. Yeah, it seems like every game they made mm-hmm. was a little bit better, yeah. a little bit better. But they faced some very unforeseen challenges, a very taxing development cycle, and it culminates, uh, you know, them transforming into one of the most influential com- gaming companies because of it too because of what happens at, like yeah okay. what happens here and then it leads to what happens Johnny well um, so tell, tell us do more. tell tell us more about the show so I think I said this at the front of the show but learning about the development delay release quiet Obi uh, an immediate recall did you know that it was recall no I did uh, after reading the article. Yeah, so it's given me a much greater appreciation for why smaller companies will often sell themselves to a much larger one. Uh, you know, when you're only one or two mistakes away uh, from total insolvency, and you have these people who are relying on you now, like it's not just your livelihood, you have people who like, paying their mortgage and everything else. Um, you know, the appeal of being brought aboard an unsinkable ship like Microsoft. Uh, with the promise of you know retaining your unique identity, it's pretty enticing. Yeah, it, it I mean, makes sense. And we we, what this wasn't the last time it happened. Like we just had it happen with uh, Double Fine. Yep. Which those guys have been independent for a very long time. Yeah. Have made a ton of games. Uh, have constantly been on that on that like edge of I don't know if we can be a company anymore. Like they tried a lot of different things and then. Yeah. They, they they are, it sounds like, at least from their deal, that they get to be relatively independent and keep being I, themselves. I, yeah, but. and I, I feel like what happens with Microsoft and Bungie is why they give the studios that same treatment today. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so, um, so most of the information 
from this next big chunk here comes from uh, an article that I've referenced once before. Uh, it's really, really good. It's really, really long. Uh, it's really long. It's like 10,000 words. Uh, it's titled Monsters in a Box, written by Mil Bill Mahan for the Chicago Reader. Um, but it focuses heavily on the development and release of Myth 2, and it has lots of really interesting quotes from several of the key people at Bungie at the time. Um, so in November of 98, they'd already missed their initial target ship date of November 1st. Uh, they'd also received more than 140,000 orders uh, for the, from uh, like retailers, <laughs> not individuals. Um, so coming off the success of Myth Fallen Lords, they were obsessed with making it better than the first game. Um, so their ultimate goal, they wanted to have it out on shelves before Christmas. Sure. Uh, that would require having the game done at least two weeks before then. Uh, but there was still a lot of work to be done. On the 13th of November, a wall in a room where they worked uh, on the game it was covered in sheets of paper. Uh, each one uh, detailed a bug or changes that needed to be made. Um, and as much as there was to do, Jason Riger, who's the lead programmer, he said it seemed there was an end in sight. Because they were doing, like, they were going on some really tough crunch at this point. Yeah, we're going to get into that now. Uh, so a lot of the staff completely exhausted physically, mentally. Um, I, I think that this also shines a light that the culture of crunch, like, you know, we've been talking about that a lot in the last several months. Mm -hmm. It's not a new problem. Uh, well, in fact, it, it's it's, it's like it's still being bad now, and there's some other things going on to make it also bad. I think it's probably better than it used to be. Yeah. Like, it was, man, they, they went through some tough. Conditions. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go through some some stuff here about just how much some of these people put into getting this game finished. Um, David Bowman. Uh, he set a work record by not leaving the office for eight days straight. Jeez. Congrats. Um, he says, uh, my wife and daughter visited yesterday. This is a quote from the article. He said, after she left, he tried to send her flowers, but the order got screwed up. Uh, there's one Saturday he did take off to babysit his then 13-month-old daughter so his wife could get out of the house. After that, though, he said, I'm working till I'm done. Um, a newer designer... Uh, after going home and collapsing from exhaustion, dreamt he was a character in the game, an undead peasant called a ghast, and had to, had picked maggots out of his skin in his dream. Um, here's another revealing quote from the article. Uh, a lot of the staff looked exhausted, especially Riger and Mark Burnell, one of the artists. There was a point near the end of summer, early fall, said Burnell, where it was just very difficult, the point where you basically can't get away from it, where you dream of it. When you... When he would come to work in the morning, he'd look up the sky, knowing that these few minutes would be all I'd see that day. He figured he was running at 70% capability. You find yourself making mistakes, your mind is not thinking as it used to. He made up for it by working even longer hours. Um, so it's still November, there's unfinished levels being developed. Uh, you know, add to this changes they were making, everything else that had to be done. Uh, and it's a wonder it came together at all before the end of the year. Um, and I would also point out that the first game had been released November 25th. So their original goal was to develop and publish the sequel be like less than a year after. Like all, the turnaround on all these games that we've been talking about has been about a year, year and a half. 
and for these kinds of prestige games, uh, you you expect them. I mean, some of them are on a yearly schedule. I mean, yeah. you have like Call of Duty on a yearly schedule, but that's that's because three they studios. Have studios on yeah. Now. Right. Um, that Assassin's Creed was was on a yearly cycle there for a bit, but that was also also multiple studios. Yeah. And then like the only other ones I can think of are like sports games, mm-hmm. but that's because there's relatively little to and also probably multiple studios work as multiple studios a lot of money and then uh, as bobby has pointed out earlier in here some things just kind of get hey, slipped through the cracks let me talk to you about mud cards um <laughs> so um so also interestingly something i i saw in this um bungie in addition to myth 2 bungie had also been working on what they then only referred to as another game that hasn't been released in the article which was Halo. Um, they moved into a newer office in March of 98. They opened a second office in California, ideally. So they wanted to have uh, their Chicago office expanded. But the people they wanted to, these programmers they wanted to hire, um, they w- didn't want to leave California. So that's why Bungie West was founded. Uh, they'd release only one game, 2001's Oni, which did you guys play that? No. No, I know n- nothing about it. Um, and uh, let's see. So Jason Ryger had also been the only programmer for the first six months of development of this game. Um, this is a quote from the article. Said it, he says, It felt so good in some respects. It was like a return to the original days of programming for me. But the hours soon became horrendous. Mark Crunch. Ber- Mark Bernal and I... We're in here all the time for as long as I can remember. So, missing deadlines for the release of the game wouldn't just disappoint fans. It could also have some very negative financial impacts on, on the studio. Uh, you know, they're, right now they're coasting on the money they had made off of the first myth. Um, but they could get to the point where no new money is coming in. You know, they need to get this game out. Technology as as at that time is changing very quickly. Yeah. Graphics are being updated almost every other release it felt like you know today we've had what since 2014 this generation right five years mm-hmm. six years somewhere in there is it 2013 2013 it'll be seven years by the time the next consoles come out not a huge jump from title to title I mean it's been stuff like lighting effects sure particles yeah, I and mean, you're giving stuff with PC with, with video cards at the very least and yeah this and point in time though, but still Games have looked pretty good for a while now. Sure. At this point um, in time, though, features, ideas, graphics, yeah, sound. This is this is at the same time that Ocarina of Time and Mario 64 is coming out. Things that have never been done before. Right. Uh, that would lay the foundation for where games are at now and the types of games that are being made now were all coming out at this time. Um, they could also, you know, if they missed deadlines, uh, they could be charged penalties uh, by dealers and distributors. Uh, penalties, according to Alex Seropian, that could be as much as $250,000 just for a retailer like CompUSA. Uh, it also meant you know, it would be hard to negotiate terms in the future if they, if they developed a bad reputation as someone who couldn't meet a deadline. Um, it could also affect you know, the impact of advertising, uh, which you know, all targeted the release date. Uh, they plan to spend 70% of its advertising and marketing budget hyping up the release date. So, uh, Seropian explains here, I call it core marketing. Treat the customer base as vectors for disease. 
the disease in this case being something good, a positive impression of the game. You're trying to spread it to everybody in the world. The larger the contagion is the first day, the wider and deeper it's going to spread. The goal is to infect everybody. If we get them all primed and ready to explode and we don't get the product delivered, not working right, this kills the momentum. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah the health tracks. Um, so they would not make it to store shelves by, before Christmas. Um, but at 3.50 in the morning, on December 10th, Myth 2 was gold mastered. Uh, they, there was some cheering, but the champagne stayed in the fridge. Uh, as Re- Regier put it, when he worked... we got to figure out the right way to pronounce this guy's name. Regier? No, I think you misspelled it here. Oh. You've said Riger and Rieger before. Oh, it's Riger. Okay. Sorry, my fault. <laughs> um, when you work so hard for so long and you finally get to take your foot off the gas pedal, it seems anticlimactic. I felt really drained by the end. It was nothing like Myth the Fallen Lords where we stuck around after GMing and playing Myth on Bungie.net until 6 a.m. I mean, they, GMing is gold mastering. Yes, I you know and that makes sense. Like these guys have been working themselves to the bone. Yeah, you're just exhausted. You're just fucking tired. I think this is when we're starting to see a lot of teams ramping up size to adding more things into it. Yeah. I mean, it's like this podcast. Like normally we'd hang out and play games or something, but I'm exhausted. I'm just <laughs> Not anymore, guys. Um, this is a fucking job. So, Myth uh, Two is scheduled to release December twenty eighth, nineteen ninety eight. That morning, uh, as 200,000 copies were being transported all over the country, a call came in from their publisher in Japan. Uh, a very serious bug had been found in the Windows version uh, after a woman uh, at the publisher there had installed the game in the root of the hard drive and then immediately uninstalled it. It erased almost everything on the hard drive when she did that. Yeah, it did. Um, it's not a good bug. Uh, so not only was the game deleted, but most of the content on the drive. Now, it's very unusual for anyone to install any program at the root level of their hard drive. It just isn't a thing that a lot yeah. of people do. Um, so they, Bungie probably could have ignored it or put out a patch to fix the issue and been totally fine. But it did not sit right with them. Um, so Jason, or Jones, sorry. Take that anthem. Jones says here, uh, the, thing that made, the thing that made the decision easy was that if we were to ship the game anyway and try to fix the problem later, some people were going to get screwed, and that was wrong. It might not have been very many people, one or two, but it would have bothered us for the rest of our lives. Maybe not, maybe just two years. We'd be sitting around today, damn, wonder when that next person is going to call. It was so clear that there was one decision that led down the road of eternal damnation. The other was to spend a lot of money and do the right thing and never make the same mistake again. And that's what they did. Uh, they recalled every single CD that had been recovered and they had to repackage it. It cost them $800,000. Um, every purchase order had to be reissued. Uh, there was a blizzard in Chicago that made getting to the CD factory in Atlanta a nightmare. 200,000 stickers that would say it's version 1.1 of the game got lost by FedEx. Um, and to top it off, there was an explosion in the factory, and the power went out for about 20 minutes. <laughs> God. <laughs> on, uh, on Thursday, January 7th, Myth 2 Soul Blighter version 1.1 was on store shelves. Uh, day 1 sales matched the total sales of Myth 1. Wow. That's pretty cool. So, so they made their 800000 back. Yes. However... Um, you know, so guys, uh, I planned for everything up to today 
to be contained within this episode, which <laughs> we've already addressed. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out, you know, covering 30 years of history, one of the most story developers is no small feat. So uh, today's episode will conclude with the release of Halo Combat Evolved. Uh, but don't worry, we'll be back to finish the fight. Uh, so, as a result of the recall of Myth 2 in 1999, uh, Seropian and Jones sold 19.9% of Bungie to Take-Two Interactive, but they still retained control. Uh, and by June of that following year, Bungie would be acquired by Microsoft. Uh, so the acquisition was actually announced on the ninth anniversary of Bungie's founding. Uh, as part of the deal, Take-Two got to get the rights to Myth and Oni. Um, oh, that worked out for him. Yep. Yeah. They gave up. <laughs> they gave the publishing rights of the highly anticipated Halo to Microsoft. Uh, you know, some financial uncertainty had been created. You know, after being cost so much money after one hard drive bug. Uh, and as Marty O'Donnell shared in a Bungie podcast, uh, oh, he shared he, he shared that in a Bungie podcast. He also said, you know, accepting the offer from Microsoft wasn't something they had to do. Um, and, you know, Jones and Seropian did not accept the offer until everyone in the studio was on board. Sir. So they weren't going to do it unless everyone agreed. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. Um, Man, that would be a wild conversation to have. Yep. Hey, guys, um, Microsoft wants to buy us. Yeah. How do you feel? I mean, they tried to sell it the best they could. Uh, Max Hoberman uh, said in a 2017 article I found on Vice, I, I don't, it didn't say what he did. Because this was this was like a retrospective. Sure. Um, I, I had it written down at some point. I, I forgot. Sorry. Okay. Um, so he says Alex and Jason did a really good job spinning the buyout internally as an amazing opportunity that could help shape the future of this brand new console. The best way to do that, and the only way to do that effectively, was to do it right next to the team building the console. Um, I'm, Chase, I know you know this. I don't know if you do, Bobby. I'm, I'm, Max Coburn I, was a designer for the multiplayer feature of the Halo game. There you go. Um, and is the current president of Certain Affinity, which is a... There you go. Not I don't know this. This um, is brand new information. <laughs> um, Bobby, you probably know this. So before joining Microsoft, Halo actually had its unveiling at Macworld 99. I do know that. Yeah, so Jason Jones was brought out on stage by Steve Jobs. Uh, at that point, the game was being promoted as a third-person action-adventure game. Uh, you know, what was shown there would be very different from the shooter, the first-person shooter that would go on to be the marquee launch title for the fledgling Xbox. I think the video of this is actually on the, uh, the Halo 3 Collector's Legendary Edition. And Bungie has it on their YouTube channel. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure of that, yeah. too. Um, so, Halo would go on to sell 6.5 million copies, uh, laid the groundwork for what would become one of the most popular entertainment properties in the world. It would change the expectations people had for how a first-person shooter should play on a console. Uh, its legacy and impact on gaming and culture as a whole should not be understated. And even if you do not consider yourself a fan of the series, there is a game out there that you do love that draws at least some influence from the Halo franchise um if you'd like to know even more because there is plenty i was not able to cover in today's episode i will include links to all of the sources i used during this research of the episode yeah we'll have that in our show notes yeah uh i hope that you guys have had as much fun listening to this as it was for me to research doubtful um, yeah <laughs> hard pass <laughs> and if i had more time to prepare i'd have put together even more 
Well, I'm uh, glad you didn't have to more you, time. To you, listeners, as Bungie says, see a star side. And that's it, guys. That's that's everything. That's except for the parts that we actually know except anything about. Halo yeah. two, three. Yeah. Oni. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Johnny, there's a lot there. I mean, I think for me, what I take away from this is what I've grown to love. And I, I don't know why I've never thought that it would be that way, but there's a long-standing tradition with Bungie, and there's a long-standing commitment to a story that they've definitely like migrated, lost, resurrected, evolved, etc. That that we see today. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine a lot of this is, I'm sure some of this is, or for some people, this is not new information, but for a lot of people out there who also weren't Mac I'm gamers. I'm sure out, there's lots of people who'd get, like, people in high school that just started playing Destiny. Sure, those yeah. people too. But but even people like, like us who mm-hmm. just didn't play on Mac growing up, like, that wasn't that wasn't a thought that we yeah. had. Or even PC or Mac, you're, you're certainly not going to know them from, from something like that. Um, but, I mean, we all, we all know Halo. Yeah. Yeah. We owe a lot to it. And look, you did a great job. There's so much here. Uh, I, I'd love to continue the conversation, Starside, um, what that would look like. Um, it's it's wild. Like, this company's been around for 30 years. Like, they've been making games for longer than you've been alive. No. You're not 24 anymore? No, I'm 31, dog. <clears throat> Wouldn't know. <laughs> Chase, though. Babyface Chase. They're founded in 91. I was, I was young, but I... I was two when they were founded. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I know that we've got a lot of really interesting ideas for these deep dives. Uh, Johnny's not going to be doing all of them. Um, but we, we do have some ideas. I think we, we kind of have a somewhat of a schedule. I don't want to share that now. But, You've got a bit of a roadmap. Um, yeah, we've, we've got our own roadmap here. Perfectly, perfectly right in saying that. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely like to hear more about Bungie. Because uh, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff even from the Halo there era and beyond that I am very even interested. more stuff out like, there. Because there's as they as they grew in popularity, so more like articles and stuff were written about them. Yeah, um, there's there's stuff that I've probably heard about and forgotten at this point, mm-hmm. like a, like how they got um, Paul McCartney to to do songs in Destiny, to uh, like what happened with Marty O'Donnell, why he got fired. I think he got fired. Right? Yeah, he didn't leave. Uh, like there's there's stuff I remember little bits and pieces about, but I would love to to go into that. I need deeper. more. I want more. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like Halo Two, we're going to leave this on a cliffhanger that is very disappointing. <laughs> That's what sequels do. Hey. <laughs> no, disappointed because we want to hear more. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. We want more. Right. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Johnny. That was fun. Uh, well, if people wanted to find out how... Bobby, let the host do that, please. It, it, <laughs> no, he's done. I'm done. I'm spent. He's spent. Johnny, if people wanted to figure out uh, how to find more of your writing, where would they do that at? Uh, <laughs> there isn't really a place to go do that. Um, we Do we have a website no. that we can publish this on? Okay, cool. Um, Johnny, I think we, we have talked, because like, you wrote a ton of stuff here. And, and some of it you read kind of verbatim during the podcast, other other parts. But, but you have a very long piece of writing here that I think uh, probably deserves to see the light of day. So we can find a way to, like, whether it's just a medium post or something, we can find a place to I have a medium to put account. something like this um, for, for people to see. So let's let's table that or put it in the sure. show notes or, or talk about it on the next time we're, we're on here. But I, I would love to see this 
piece that you made this essay go out. And I'm going to put it all in the show notes. Sure. Great. The entire 12-page article in the Great. show notes. Good call. Yeah. That's where it will live. I had so much fun doing this, guys. It Good. Was, it was a blast. We, so, should, we should just have like Siri read the whole all, thing. all of this, and that's the podcast. That's fair. <laughs> and a very... <laughs> no, Cortana. Please, Chase. It's Bungie. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Chase, yeah. outside of critiquing... You also host a really nice podcast. Yep. It's called that's, Gamers on the Go. Me. I'm the critiquing man. <laughs> uh, I heard a rumor mm-hmm. that there might be a new episode of Bruin. It kind of depends on your schedule, Bobby. <laughs> so I heard there's a rumor that there's an episode coming for Gamers uh, on the Go. Yeah, I can talk about it. Uh, I mean, Johnny can't be on it, obviously, because he hasn't finished Fire Emblem Three Houses, but that is... And he, he chose poorly. He did. Well, he chose poorly multiple times. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have uh, two two previous guests of Gamers on the Go, Bobby Bobby Pease and uh, my East Coast correspondent, Matt Jaguar. Uh coming on talking about each different storyline because Bobby was a Blue Lions player the original Blue Lions player yes absolutely I was, <laughs> I was a Golden Deer guy and uh, and Matt went with Black Eagles so cool. we have three perspectives yep. and uh, I think we'd all like to kind of share them and do a little spoiler cast and just talk about the game in general I'll yep. be able to listen to that eventually fun. eventually maybe. someday <laughs> Uh, where can they find those episodes for Gamers on the Go? Yeah, uh, any form, any previous episodes are GamersOnTheGo.com um, and then you can follow us at GOTG Podcast on Twitter is where I'll put up links to the new uh, the new episode when it comes out and uh, yeah, we got to record that but I'm very excited yeah. to, uh, to make that happen. I'm really pumped to talk more about that game. Uh, and my name is Bobby. I do go by Lumberjack Smack from time to time online. That's also my gamer tag, but recently I put up a new quick look, one of the first ones in, in a while, mm-hmm. uh, for a game that I'm pretty excited about called Creature in the Well. That's on my YouTube channel. You can find me there. It's Lumberjack Smack or LumberjackSmack.com uh, for those. This upcoming week, though, Chase and I have a date. Yeah, we're going to find some time and make a ton of quick looks about a ton of games. Most of them new, some of them very old. <laughs> yeah, some very old, some very new, uh, but a lot of good times will be had there. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Lumberjack Smack or at Bobby Pease by Lumberjack Smack on there. Uh, if you need to get in touch with us, if you want to critique Johnny or you want to compliment Johnny on what he's talked about here, please. The casual hour at gmail.com is the best way to write a long format, but if you only have you know 150 characters, uh, you can get a hold of us on Twitter. 240. 200. No, I keep my. It's 200. It's 150. That's it. I, I, I so have a filter. more than you what know. was originally available? Yep. Yeah, I wanted a little bit more. I didn't want to go to the full 280. Uh, I, I'm very peculiar about my tweets. Uh, you can get a hold of us on Twitter. We you are, are at, very peculiar. Very true. <laughs> uh, at the casual hour, if you want to talk to us on there. And we'd love to hear some of your bungee memories. So if you have anything or fondness there, please. Yeah, especially if they are pre-Halo. Pre-Halo memories. And last but not least, we are on Anchor.fm. That's where this podcast is hosted. We have an ability to pay to hear more content from us. We are trying our damnedest to put more stuff out. And the most important thing you can do right now is subscribe and leave us a review. Uh, that means Five stars only. Five stars only because we are five-star <laughs> men. Uh, if you could leave us a review, that would be super helpful. Uh, but if you do feel so inclined to support us, there's a way to do that on our, our website, which is on Anchor. You can also find that in the show notes. Next recording is going to be uh, what you've been up to. We'll be talking about some of those 
late August, early September games. I'll have some Risk of Rain 2 impressions. Yeah, I got some of those also. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few other fun games that just recently came out. I'll be talking a little bit about Greedfall and some of the Monster Hunter expansion. And, uh, I don't think it was in our preview, but isn't that skating game Session supposed to be coming out? Oh, shit. I completely forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, Sessions is coming out, and then uh, also Borderlands 3 will be something that we'll have some hot takes on. Yeah, isn't that game Sessions about to come out? Chase, you don't play anything that's not anime. Let's not be up there. I mean, Borderlands is pretty anime. Fair. <laughs> uh, so we're the Casual We'll be back next week with a new episode. Uh, Johnny, thanks again. Really, really nice Thank job. Thank you, guys. And uh, we will... Be anxiously awaiting that feedback for Johnny. Anything that you have negative, I will move to the top. Thanks.